0: You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body IO FM with your host, Kiefer, and co host, Dr. Rocky. Hey, Kiefer. Uh, was the timing on time right? yeah the timing's getting way better all right uh so we're gonna go through our sponsors, which are pretty much body i o and all of our products so CarbNight, carb back loading. backloading uh, you can you can find links to those on the sites and we have transforming recipes and uh, I think and high lead athletic wear of course there's a coupon on the website for that and today we've got. Dr. Paul Jaminé on the show who is the author of The Perfect Health Diet. Um I believe he also has some uh a health retreat business uh that we're going to talk about later as well. But we want to so welcome to the show, Paul. Appreciate having you on.
1: Uh, yeah, it's great to be with you. Keep her on, Rocky.
0: Yeah, the last time we spoke, we were on a panel together where I think I pretty much pissed off at least Three of the other four participants, and I'm I'm not sure, uh, not sure how you felt about that. But the others clearly showed some disdain for me after that.
1: Uh, well, I don't recall being pissed off. So
0: okay, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was at FX, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, two two years ago, I think.
1: Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, a year before last.
0: Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was a good panel, actually. Yeah,
1: it was fun. So I I remember me pissing off the audience a little talking about how many carbs you should eat, or uh, maybe not pissing them off, but surprising them.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, we definitely have, uh you know, depending on depending on the context of the conversation, uh, we have either similar or strangely dissimilar opinions on carbohydrates and how much is is really necessary. But we can go into that here pretty soon. I know Rocky, uh, we talked a little bit before we actually called you in, and, and Rocky wanted to to jump in on this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, before we even get started, um, I'm sure that many people know who you are, but for those who don't, can you tell us a little bit about, about the Perfect Health Diet? What's it about, and how, do you come out, how you came about it?
1: Yeah, well, it came about uh, when uh, my wife and I were searching for solutions to our health problems, and we found... Paleo in two thousand five, so I guess that makes us old timers in the movement now. (laughs) And uh, um, we had some problems on Paleo starting out, and uh, uh, you know we traced, uh, uh, you know, the first thing we realized is we were too low carb, and then we realized we had other nutrient deficiencies, and uh, and basically started getting to work on refining Paleo in order to make it highly nourishing. And uh, and uh, you know as healthful as we could make it, and that took us five years. But uh, it ended up, you know, we got a really good diet, and we ended up healing our own health problems. And uh, you know, we were convinced it could help a lot of people. So we wrote a book about it, and uh, uh, that's Perfect Health Diet. And uh, and
2: a lot of people have been helped. So it's been it's been a really good experience. What were some of the issues you were having with the? carbohydrate content in terms of being low or do you know, I mean, you know, I think one of the things that often gets kind of um, misinterpreted or just confusing for the lay public is when they hear the term paleo, you know, all that comes to mind is caveman diet, whether that's a low-carb program or a moderate-carb or a high-carb program, it's never really ever uh, detailed. So, obviously, it sounds like, Maddie you you went down a low-carb route. Um, was there a particular reason why you went down that low carb route, or was there uh, was that related to your health issues that you're having? Or?
1: Um, well, it probably wasn't totally rational, but uh, uh, basically, I, I was inspired by Art Devaney. It was through him that I found uh, Paleo, and he was definitely a low carb advocate. He um, advocated no starches and only uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, and you know, but the arguments he made uh, against carbohydrates seemed to be applied just as much to fruit. And, uh, uh, so I was even more enthusiastic and tried going vegetables only for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, but I was in a, um, I had, uh, it turned out a couple of chronic infections and, uh, going low carb helped me diagnose them. Uh, it caused one of them to flare up. And, uh, um, so, you know, and it, it ended up being, a really helpful experience for me, but uh, uh in the first month I had some really uh, severe symptoms. And um but it uh, and you know I definitely had more problems going low carb than most people would have because uh uh you know I had pre-existing infections that uh uh you know made me made me vulnerable to uh a deficit of carbohydrates. So uh, you know, but I think uh, there's a risk of uh, long-term issues if you, if you stay on a very low-carb diet for a long time, even if you, you know, even
2: if you don't have those kind of infections that create immediate acute problems. So, um, I think, uh, can, you, can you explain in the perfect health diet then, then there is a carbohydrate recommendation that sounds like it's going to come from starch. What is that level? Where's that level at then?
1: Well, we recommend eating about 30% carbs. Uh, for most people, you know, so that's, that's lower carb than the standard American diet, but it's higher carb than most uh, low carb diets. And, and that's about, that's about what we think your body wants in order to avoid conserving carbohydrate utilization. So there's a lot of ways the body utilizes carbohydrate. Um, It does it for immune function. It does it for constructing extracellular matrix. It does it for producing uh, mucus and um, and uh, the uh, compounds that lubricate joints, and um, and we start to see reductions in mucus production uh, as you reduce carbohydrate uh, intake. Um, we start to see you know reduced production of tears and saliva, um, and uh, reduced immune function as as you start going very low carb. So the body you know starts to try to conserve carbohydrate. And, uh, um, and you know, we generally uh, – we want to give the body everything it needs so it can, you know, do all the functions that evolution gave us and, uh, uh, you know, because they're, they're generally good for us.
2: Uh, so if you're doing 30 percent – so go ahead. Go ahead Kiefer.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, you know, some of these, these things you mentioned are usually transitory uh, effects of going low-carb for too long uh for example you know if if you've been on a carb based diet which i would say almost 100% of americans at some point were on a a high carbohydrate diet whether that's 30% 45% or higher uh starting off in life you know we a lot of us were raised that way so when you make that transition to something that is very low carbohydrate or at least very low usable carbohydrate we actually see a lot of these kind of extreme conditions and and we also see some beneficial extreme conditions um, that I think have unfairly been pe- pegged onto ketogenic diets that makes them magical, um, and then all these other transitory things that aren't so fun are kind of ignored. Um, but we see in, in you know longer and longer term data, which unfortunately we don't have a ton of, um, but we do in certain populations, all those things disappear. Like people will reset. And they are actually quite healthy, you know, all, everything you've mentioned comes back to what we would see as quote-unquote normal, although I would argue eating carbohydrates is just not a normal state, or or eating carbohydrates daily is not a normal state for humans. So we kind of have this balancing act of how do we look at different effects and the time course of those effects, and then also the hysteresis effect of going back to previous diets once we've only been on a new diet for a short period of time. So I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering on what your opinion is on that or what your thoughts, because, you know, one argument could be, well, you know, just push through that. And I know in your case, it sounds like that might've been untenable, uh, for a couple reasons. Um, yeah. well, go ahead. Well, in my,
1: yeah, in my case, I, I did try to push through it for uh, actually for a, a year and a half, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I kept getting worse because I had one one of the infections I had was a uh, a chronic uh, fungal infection, and that just got worse and worse mm. uh, the longer I stayed low carb. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's uh, you know you raise a lot of good points because uh, there are adaptation issues, and uh, you know people will experience those, um, and then. There are also benefits to intermittency, which you know you've promoted,
0: uh, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: You know, in a number of aspects, and uh, uh, you know, so in terms of uh, you know personal situations, personal goals, um, and it's also you know when people are very healthy, uh, then their body has a great scope to adapt. You know, even mm-hmm. to extreme diets, and uh, uh, you know, but as you get more and more health challenged, then, uh, you know, the body's already challenged enough at, you know, one more stress, uh, can be difficult for it. So that was more of the situation I was in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I think in some ways that was helpful in terms of the development of our diet, but, you know, because I was in relatively poor health and under stress, you know, I was much more sensitive to every little additional stressor and, uh, um, you know, so that, that helped me get to a very low stress diet, you know, one that, uh, really nourishes the body well and doesn't, you know, force it to do, uh, too many challenging adaptations. Um, you know, so again, if you're, you know, if your goals are becoming, uh, uh an extremely lean bodybuilder, you know, then, uh, you need some of those challenging adaptations and, what you're doing, uh, you know, but in terms of, uh, you know, sick people healing, then, uh, you know, often a very uh, low stress nourishing approach is uh, is going to achieve your personal goals best.
0: Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm very much on your side of things. I think a n- very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet is some people mistakenly, I think, always assume a low carbohydrate diet is. Uh, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think uh, that that is the long-term healthiest diet to be able to um, repair any damage you might have uh, to cure your illness. You know, working with Rocky, we use a cyclic approach uh, to carbohydrates, and he's had amazing results of healing a lot of patients that way. Um, but something you said in there, like, is a point that I think is it, – it was a very, very good point you made – it's missed a lot of times and that's um this concept of the people who do recommend very very low carbohydrate diets are very often as you pointed out in excellent health a lot of times they're even athletes um so they have this high adaptive state and they already have a very high state of adaptation as far as metabolic flexibility of their muscle tissue so we really need to step back sometimes i i think and pay attention to who's saying this. You know, if you've got somebody who's doing uh, Ironman competitions and they're low carbohydrate, you need to step back for a second and think: Okay, is this how salient are these recommendations for the general public, or for somebody yeah, that's think, sick? Yeah. yeah,
1: that's right. So. Uh, you know, and we all know if we look back when we were young, you know, in teenagers, we could do you know all kinds of things that weren't necessarily that healthy, and we'd still feel great the next morning. <laughs> right. uh, and with uh, you know, so uh, the better your health is, you know, the the less you're going to notice, even if you're doing subtle harms to yourself. And uh, and there's a very interesting uh, set of ideas that uh, were forth by this, uh, biologist Bruce Ames from Berkeley.
0: Yeah. I know uh, I calls, know Dr. Ames.
1: The, yeah. Uh, that he calls triage theory mm-hmm. and it, and it basically, you know, it makes total sense. It, it has to be right. You know, we must have evolved mechanisms so that when we're short of some kind of nutrient, uh, we keep ourselves functioning here in the now, uh, you know, we maintain our current function, uh, because we need to be able to go out and hunt and gather and get, you know, or fight and get, you know, survive, get the nutrients that we need. And the assumption of our body is going to be that, you know, any deficit of nutrition is only temporary and we're going to find food sooner or later and and restore our nourishment. And so the things that's going to suppress when we're short of nutrition are all the long-term maintenance, you know, the things that show up after 10 or 20 years. And, you know, so if you're eating a deficient diet, if you're starting out from a really healthy state and you're eating a deficient diet, the odds are it's not going to, you know, you're not going to notice anything uh, in the short term. It's going to show up after years or decades. Um, and, you know, so that's that's the big concern. Uh, you know, so someone may find, you know, one of these more extreme diets and, you know, fasting is a traditional way to get health benefits and you know, people if they're starting from a healthy state and they go on a restrictive diet it's essentially a kind of fast you know mm-hmm. there are things you know there are fast called protein sparing modified fast where you still eat normal amounts of protein but you fast mm-hmm. on other things and uh, you know there are all kinds of ways to fast that include eating you know but are restrictive ways of eating and uh, and those can improve health in the short term in certain ways they can make you feel better uh, and, you know, and people can think, oh, I've hit on a really healthy way of eating, you know, but if, you, if you're fasting every day for years and years, then you know, your body's going to be putting off certain kinds of maintenance and that's going to, uh, if Bruce Ames's triage theory is right, that's going to show up in uh, you're getting more diseases of aging, you know, less maintenance of DNA, more likelihood of cancer later, um, shorter lifespan, uh, you know, so. it's a a little bit, you know, risky just looking at, um, you know, either short-term how you feel or maybe some single biomarker of health and, you know, basing a whole diet on, you know, optimizing that. Uh, I think it's, you know, the the approach we ended up taking of sort of reviewing the literature, looking at every nutrient, figuring out a balanced diet that uh, gives you every nutrient. I think that's much more likely to be uh, a long term successful
0: approach yeah that's we we've was had doctor so- oh, go ahead, rocky okay <laughs> no, oh, was, was
2: there something in the, oh that was something in the literature that really specifically resonated with you in that terms of that thirty percent carbohydrate level was there a specific piece of research or something else that you found, or was it just basically trial and error what you found worked for you, and then you went back to the literature and found something that really kind of uh like made it make it all sink sink in.
1: Well, I guess we started, you know, I, I started noticing that, you know, I felt better and dealt with my infections much better if I ate some uh, carbohydrate. And um, and also, I was prone to certain other nutrient deficiencies if I went low-carb. So, I would be much more likely to be depleted in vitamin C and electrolytes. And, uh, and you know, I think that's quite common on very low-carb diets. So, um, you know, and I had... A lot of those problems, like dry eyes and uh, uh, dry mouth, uh, that I mentioned earlier, and uh, and those all went away when I ate carbs. And uh, you know, so I'm starting in starting to think about, oh, why does the body need carbs? You know, I look through the literature at all the all the things we use carbohydrate for. Immune function is a huge one because uh, in order to generate reactive oxygen species, that's much easier if you're starting from uh, carbohydrate, and uh, you know, so white blood cells when they're when they're trying to kill extracellular pathogens, they need uh, glucose, and um, you know, so that was uh, a major observation that you know explained to me why one of my inf- infections was flaring on uh, low carb, and uh, uh, and then uh, and then realizing that things like mucus are up to eighty percent carbohydrate. Uh, and, you know, so, and also m- much of the extracellular matrix, uh, is carbohydrate. And so there are important, uh, structural and functional elements of the body that are made of carbohydrate and their, uh, production is, is downregulated when your, uh, diet doesn't have many carbs. Uh, and then, you know, just a general perspective, realizing that, you know, a lot of people, they tend to think that our food is mainly about providing us with energy, you know. But in reality, uh, the way we're meant to live is uh, our our cells get energy by self-cannibalizing, you know, by taking a, down their own components. And when we get food, they reconstruct themselves. So cells are constantly shrinking and then expanding whenever we eat, and that's why it's best to eat what you are, you know, to eat the components of your body and allow your body to rebuild itself. And, uh, you know, so you really shouldn't think of your food calories going straight to mitochondria and getting burned for energy. Uh, that's not the way it works. And if they don't go into storage, you don't want them going into storage and then getting burned later. You want them getting incorporated into the structure of your body. And so extracellular matrix is is uh, substantially composed of carbohydrate. And it turns out extracellular matrix is extremely biologically important. Um, um, and in my, in my talks, um, y- you mentioned we have, a, uh, we have a health retreat and we have a science curriculum there explaining all of our advice. And uh, in one of my talks, I uh, show these experiments on engineered organs uh, for transplant uh, where they take an organ and they remove all the cells with detergent and all that's left is the extracellular matrix. And then you can take stem cells from the donor recipient and just put them on the extracellular matrix and they differentiate into the right cell type. So uh, if they find the extracellular matrix that was backing an endothelial cell of a blood vessel, they become endothelial cells. If it was a nerve cell, they become a nerve cell. And the extracellular matrix has all the information about what cell types to make. And they've actually made organs which can they can transplant into uh, mice, and the mice can live for up to a month with the transplanted liver made in this way, and so it's really remarkable how sophisticated the extracellular matrix is and how important it is for our health, and that's why some of the you know the health foods like bone, joint, tendon stock are so beneficial because they give you all the components for those uh, extracellular matrix, uh, but eating carbohydrate is also important there, and. Um, You know, so for long-term maintenance of joints, connective tissue, uh, skin, um, it's really good to uh, uh, supply some carbohydrate, also for the gut barrier integrity. Um, And it's not uncommon. We've been blogging now for four and a half years, and, uh, you know, and we've had plenty of people who were very low-carb for several years and then developed health problems and often gut problems. You know, so often, you know, after being very low-carb for a very long time, they have compromised gut barrier integrity, and they weren't necessarily maintaining a good flora. They didn't produce as much mucus as they should. They weren't eating as much fiber as they should have. And, uh, you know, that leaves people vulnerable. And uh, uh, you may be able to hear my baby in the background.
0: i 35 <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, three-and-a-half-month-old. Um, anyway, it's, uh, you know, so there's a, there's a lot of value to uh, at least, you know, some levels of carbohydrate. And I think most people eat too many carbohydrates, they eat more than the body needs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and eating in excess of anything, you know, means the body has to dispose of it. And that contributes a, a little bit to our, uh, obesity epidemic and, uh, diabetes epidemics. Um, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a primary cause because, you know, just like, healthy people should be able to tolerate low carb diets people should be able to tolerate higher carb diets too uh but it requires some adaptation and if other things start to go wrong you know then it's a challenge that your body may not be up to meeting
0: yeah i would <clears throat> um so a, a lot of so the, a lot of the direction i've been going in recently is looking at the downside of eating carbohydrates on a regular basis and um, I, I define that as, you know, daily or throughout the day. And we, we've got so much physiological data now that if you're introducing that every day, um, you can actually, you know, you do get the reactive oxygen species production just in getting the carbohydrate molecule to pyruvate so that it can go into the citric acid cycle. Um, you also have ER dysfunction that the endoplasmic rec- reticulum Uh, where protein folding and unfolding goes on. You get a lot of errors in protein folding, which uh, is actually exacerbated by carbohydrates in the diet. And the response that we usually have to protein misfolding is also shut off by insulin. Um, And that's one of the major causes we see in Alzheimer's and what spreads it. Uh, They've done some really clever experiments recently where they've shown when you get a buildup of these misfolded proteins – that it actually spreads almost like its own virus. It's almost like prion disease. Um, And insulin is responsible for shutting off the body's ability to deal with this misfolded protein. Um, So we have all these things that, if you're introducing carbohydrates on a regular basis, you're causing almost, um, you could think of it as the, the reverse scenario of the triage theory, is you're allowing very small problems to accumulate all day, every day for a long period of time. And then you may also have a deficiency that, you know, your body's working to try to compensate for. Um, and, you know, all this research to me is pointing in the direction of right now, at least the standard American diet, is the perfect storm. And the, the more I look into all these mechanisms, uh, you know, they all have kind of this common theme of what allows them to be triggered from cancer to alzheimers to dementia um, to diabetes to you know you just about name it it all comes down to a regular ingestion of carbohydrates with an with an insulin response um so i'm wondering, so that's why you know my plans are very kind of strict on this introducing carbohydrates in a cyclic way you can get a lot of advantages without the disadvantages Carb night being that kind of lowest model, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but that's literally just carbohydrates one night a week. Um, and then carb backloading is for the people who are much healthier, and they are getting, you know, somewhere around your carbohydrate recommendations, uh, whether uh, – uh, probably about 30% of their diet, but it's all at night. Um, so, you know, I I've tried to look into these cyclic things, and I'm wondering if you've explored – uh, some of those responses that you do get to constant uh, carbohydrate ingestion and insulin loads, and then also if you know if this kind of thirty um, percent level, if you found in the research that that is kind of right at that cusp by chance of not too much, not too little, or you know if you've del- if you've delved into that,
1: yeah, I I have delved into the the literature on these points. I guess I'd uh, you know, my interpretation would be a little bit different. Um, so I would say, you know, nearly all of those negative effects that you describe are Mm -hmm. negative effects of an excess energy diet. And, you know, of course, eating an excess of carbohydrate is, you know, one path to an excess energy diet, you know, but you can see exactly those same effects with, uh, if you go in the literature and you look on the negative effects of, uh, saturated fat, uh, now, um, the perfect health diet is uh, strongly endorses saturated fats. We recommend mm-hmm. coconut milk, butter, and so on. You know, but you can find plenty of papers which, you know, say there are negative effects from eating saturated fats. And you know, what are they? Uh, they're generating extra reactive oxygen s- species in mitochondria. Uh, and you know, the first place those go is from the mitochondria to the endoplasmic reticulum, and you get the ER stress. Uh, you get all of those things that you said. Um, you know, insulin is a coordinating hormone that helps coordinate in cases of uh, uh, of energy disposition, when you've got too much energy in the blood that you have to get rid of. Uh, the reactive oxygen species are generated when there's an excess of energy in the cell. You know, so when the cell is full of ATP and it can't really utilize any more energy, uh, then... You get backward transport in the electron transport chain, which releases uh, reactive oxygen species, uh, and that triggers insulin resistance. Um, And so, uh, you know, a lot of the things uh, you you said as negative effects of carbohydrate will also appear as negative effects of saturated fat. on the standard American diet, and the fundamental problem is that the standard American diet is an energy excess diet. You know, people are eating too many calories. Uh, they're doing that primarily because their diet is lacking in micronutrients, and uh, the brain drives hunger in order to get more micronutrition. Um, and one of the solutions to an energy excess diet is to do more fasting. You know, so when you introduce intermittency in your diet, as as you do. Um, you know, then you're going to, uh, you know, eliminate the energy excess or reduce it. And, uh, you know, also restricting one component of the diet, uh, you know, like being relatively low-carb, will also tend to get rid of uh, energy excess and help people cope with it. You know, so, um, you know, I think uh, uh, there's a lot of truth in in what you say, but uh, I think if you eat a very nourishing diet, uh, then actually the path to um, minimizing calorie intake and, you know, avoiding energy excess, uh, you can get rid of all that stress uh, in a way that, you know, actually supports your body very well for, you know, a whole lifetime of health uh, and, uh, you know, without too much restriction. And uh, and I think that's, you know, that's the strategy we recommend anyway.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I, the, yeah, my, my point was more, or at least the discussion topic is, you know, obviously we all kind of have uh, these, these different backgrounds and the things that we've tried to to focus on uh, when we're looking at these things. And I think that the saturated fat point is very relevant, interesting, and particularly because that research and the research that we can always find in those, those diets are, you know, usually either a the person still has a pretty significant carbohydrate load, so it's definitely nowhere near ultra low carb, um, or the organism is transitioning from a carbohydrate diet to one that's still decently high in carbohydrates, but you know, high in saturated fat. So I think that is some somewhat dilutes whether we could say. And, and as you you know, as you know, you recommend saturated fat. You know, it's healthy in a certain context um we can show that i mean the membrane of your cell is heavily dependent for its structure and its form and its integrity on saturated fats um that's actually very important for part of its its structure uh, if it were all polyunsaturated we'd be pretty gooey so you know we we have yeah we we've got to keep kind of all these things in context and that's that's why i like having uh guests on who actually don't agree with me um, because you know, you make, you make some really good points, uh, about the need of carbohydrates and then, you know, like you said, uh, the healthier you are, the easier it is for bo- the body to, uh, compensate for the ultra low carbohydrate diet by turning more protein into carbohydrates to make up for those. And that might be one way to expose kind of the level of deficiency that's been going on for a long period of time. If somebody does. Transition to an ultra low carb diet and has a a large series of problems um it's probably exactly like you said there there are a large series of problems and they just weren't exposed um, in the same way with the other things they'd been doing and i think that's something really important for the audience to pick up on is you know if you try one of these plans that ever you know all your friends are saying is a miracle plan and you do it and you feel like crap there might be some really good reasons you feel like crap. It might not just be because you don't have the willpower, or you don't like the food, or something like that. Like, you know, there might there there's probably legitimately something there to explore.
1: Yeah. Yep. And and people should be aware, as as you mentioned, that protein can be converted to the carbohydrate in in the body. And if you are going to eat a very low carb diet, you do need to increase your protein intake, and uh, you know, to give your body some scope to. Uh create the carbohydrates it needs uh you know, so people shouldn't uh shouldn't assume that the only thing they're doing is cutting they you know they'll need to add some food in also
0: yeah and and that's you know, a lot of people also make the opposite mistake because they still have this fear of fat, you know they'll go low carb and they're you know they're basically eating nothing but protein, and they're like, man, I can't figure out why I feel like crap all the time, like yeah, <laughs> you know you're not <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not getting carbs, you're not getting fat, you're eating all protein, you get nitrogen buildup, you just feel lethargic and crappy all the time. Um, that's why you yep. don't you don't want to hang out with bodybuilders, figure competitors, or bikini competitors before a show because most of their coaches have them on a diet that's all protein, so they're miserable.
1: Yeah, and you know, some people are prone to, you know, making that mistake even without thinking about it. It seems to be much more of a problem problem with women. Uh, who are more mm-hmm. likely to undereat. I don't know how much of that is uh, you know, like the cultural pressure to you know, so many women go on diets and uh, you know that a lot of them are used to undereating and uh, uh, you know a lot of them don't really re- realize how negative the effects of undereating can be.
0: Yeah, actually, um, we had a, a guest on our show recently, Dr. Fred Navarro, who's looked into these different patterns of behavior. Um, and over his research over the last 30 years, one one thing he, it was interesting that he noted is there's this one pattern of behavior that is very highly diet focused, just like you mentioned, and it's the majority of that group is women. They're very, very highly diet focused in, you know, how do I manipulate my diet for certain changes? And that, you know, you can see why that's probably, you know, a big issue that's, that there is to fight, just like you mentioned, that usually happens in female populations when the diet goes really awry, um, because of taking things just too far.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the remarkable statistics was, uh, the prevalence of the athlete's triad, uh, you know, where, uh, they look at you know, college, uh, division one athletes, you know, so these are serious athletes mm-hmm. and some, I've forgotten the numbers precisely, but, you know, some incredible fraction of female college athletes are missing their periods, uh, yeah. because basically because they're under eating and, you know, while doing intense training and you can see similar hormonal changes in men, you know, like low testosterone, low, low libido, you know, mm-hmm. when they're over training, under eating. And it's only like a few percent of, of men who do this, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's uh, a very large fraction of women, uh, college athlete women do this. And uh, I don't, I, um, I'm not sure it's known why women are so much more likely to undereat than, than men.
0: Do you notice much of these extremes rocky in your practice when you have women come in who are, you know, focused on some characteristic of their health?
2: You know, I think oh, that, there you go. um, sorry, I had to mute for a second. I had a, had a issue in my room here. So, uh, I, I think that I do find that if, if a, if a patient's going to under eat, it tends to be more. I don't know if that's just pattern conditioning because they're in this cycle of under-eating and dieting and under-eating and dieting and under-eating and dieting. Um, uh, And I think that's kind of almost pre-programmed into the uh, consumer marketing scheme, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, But certainly I do see that clinically. Um, I I know one of the things I was going to – I had lost my train of thought, but I had come back again is that you know certainly clinically what I see, whether it's female or male – are, are patients who typically have a significant um, issue with insulin resistance, and so I, I was going to ask Paul: um, Do you do you make adjustments in the in the program that you do, whether it's at the retreat or in general in the book, in terms of um, if you're dealing with certain issues of glucose metabolism issues? Um, how do you? Is there a way you kind of go about adjusting or making your program a little more malleable, or is there something you do more in depth at the retreat?
1: Um, no, we pretty much.
2: Put everybody
1: on the same program to start with, and then we see. In you know, ninety-five percent of the time, all the problems will go away. Uh, you know, but our program is pretty comprehensive. It's uh you know, it's diet and nutrition, but it's also lifestyle and exercise. Um, you know, so we do things like intermittent fasting, uh, daily, uh, circadian rhythm entrainment. You know, other things that are very supportive of uh, a healthy metabolism, and. Um, Intermittent fasting really helps people regulate their appetite. Uh, so, you know, most often insulin resistance is its a, its just a condition of energy excess. Uh, the cells have too much energy. They don't want any more en- energy. And so they say to insulin, you know, which tells them take in energy. Oh, I don't want any. I'm not going to listen to you. And, uh, you know, so the solution is really to, you know, get them on... Uh, a much more efficient diet where they're only eating the things their body needs. uh, And that means a very nutrient-dense diet. Uh, So we very quickly want to get them on our supplemental foods, things like egg yolks, liver, uh, bone joint tendon stock for extracellular matrix, um, uh, healthy vegetables, seafood. um, And you know, so improving and also a few nutritional supplements. So improving their nutrition really helps control appetite, and then intermittent fasting uh, is really helpful, uh, both because it's a good circadian rhythm and trainer, uh, and you know that helps normalize uh, metabolism, um, and uh, the overnight fast, uh, extending the overnight fast, uh, you know like I said, cells uh, self cannibalize uh, during fasting, and so basically. Uh, if your cells had an energy excess at the start of the fast, you know, by the end of the fast, they won't have it anymore because they'll be cleaning themselves out. And, uh, uh, you know, so if you do intermittent fasting, you're, that's going to restore insulin sensitivity in most people. And, you know, then you just have to, uh, and it really helps people monitor their appetite and how much they eat. So what we tell them is just uh, eat enough during the day so that uh, by... Uh, the time you start eating, eating again the next day after a sixteen-hour fast, you're just beginning to get hungry. You know, so you're feeling mild hunger at the at the start. <clears throat> and of course, they you know the first day they can't know, you know how much that is to eat. You know, but after they've been doing it for a week, then they start to, uh, you know, get a sense of you know what's the right amount to eat. And you know, you can slowly you know first just satisfy yourself. And then if you're not at all hungry at the end of the fast, you can dial back the amount you eat a little bit and just see where you start to become hungry. And, uh, you know, so that's a really good recipe for helping people calibrate uh, the amount that they eat. And once they're getting good nutrition, uh, eating a good amount, uh, once they are doing intermittent fasting, once they're in training their circadian rhythms, once they're doing a good daily exercise program, uh, you know, which is uh, a big part of circadian rhythms, uh, you know, then they uh, the intermittent the insulin resistance tends to go away, uh, and then the next step after that, which takes a little bit longer, is reshaping the gut flora, giving them a better gut microbiome, uh, and that that can take variable amounts of time depending on. Uh, the state that they're coming from, but usually within a few months, uh, you can get that in pretty good shape. Um, and so we, you know, we wouldn't really tweak very much until we've, uh, you know, gone through those two phases. Uh, and usually there are other health conditions, uh, present, you know, when people, when people have problems and those help us diagnose the problems and, you know, and we look for ways to address those things, you know, so we do end up, uh, tweaking the nutritional advice and the, the dietary program you know uh, for things like uh, diabetes or chronic infections or uh, cancer or other issues um, you know but for the vast majority of people you don't you don't need to do much beyond a very nourishing natural whole foods diet with intermittent fasting circadian rhythm entrainment daily exercise.
0: So I've. What
2: are some of the chronic?
0: Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. This, this just this begs the question about. So how do you feel about say my program carb backloading, um, because it's it's very similar to what you're describing, and in the literature, I actually designed it to do kind of s- some of the things you're discussing and to mimic intermittent fasting without the negative side effects. So in other words, uh, become less sensitive to the effects of ghrelin and also to have uh, lower Ghrelin excursions which is what causes hunger especially early in the day Um, and the literature to me in everything that I saw it wasn't that um, the actual starvation is what triggered the liosomal effects and autophagy in the cells it was actually the absence of glucose and insulin that also allowed that to happen which we have seen in studies when you take those away the autophagy system you know actually can function the way it's supposed to Break down damaged DNA, break down uh, viral components, bacteria that might be uh, sitting around or have invaded a cell. So, you know, I I actually constructed carb backloading not just as a performance diet. This was supposed to be a diet that was supposed to, uh, and again, match up with our circadian rhythm. So you eat the carbohydrates at night. Um, It was supposed to, you know, modify all of those because one thing that an athlete is constantly battling is recovery issues. So everything else has to be as absolutely healthy as possible for them to recover at an adequate rate to make the progress that they want to make. And we've also seen a lot of these effects in Rocky's practice when using carb backloading with just even sedentary people, uh, you, you get a reversal of insulin resistance. And again, this seems to point to the absence of the carbohydrates and the insulin load more so than the fasting itself. So, just kind of what is your take on carb backloading just in its framework and not applying it to say athletes, which is what the book was written for, but that was not the intent of, of creating the diet, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Well, um, anything that improves circadian rhythms is going to have a very powerful uh, metabolic effect and you'll be very beneficial to people. Um, And there is, uh, you know, there is real evidence that uh, it's helpful to uh, shift protein a little earlier in the day and carbs later in the day. Uh, And I don't, I personally, I I wouldn't recommend a very dramatic change. I'd still eat, uh, uh, you know, relatively balanced meals, Uh, you know, but uh, you may, it's a good thing to emphasize protein a little more at the first meal at breakfast, and emphasize carbs more at night. And at our retreats, we give, uh, you know, the, the last food uh, we give is a dessert at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and that's a uh, relatively carb rich uh, dessert. Um, and that helps support sleep. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, in, in general, it's a good uh, circadian rhythm uh, thing as well as a sleep aid. And, uh, you know, so that that general framework, I think, is good. Um, I guess uh, I think the best time in general to eat calories is in the afternoon, and, uh, you know, you want to uh, try to put as many calories as you can in there. And I think it's it's very good to extend the overnight fast. In terms of the benefits of autophagy. Um, It's, uh, you know, autophagy is promoted not just by lack of carbohydrates, but also by lack of protein, lack of fats, uh, depletion of ATP in the cell, so it doesn't have enough energy, Um, and I think it's very good to invoke all of those things uh, in the overnight fast. So I think it's really good to get no calories at all for 16 hours, and we recommend just drinking black coffee during the fast, which can also promote. Uh, autophagy a little and uh, um, and you know really we've only had a few people at the at the retreat uh, who have had any difficulty fasting we've had lots of people who said before the retreat that I can't fast uh, but then when they come they find out oh it's it's easy you know as, you know as long as you're well nourished and you're eating well the previous day then it's it's generally very easy and you know, we had we had one uh, woman this most recent retreat who was hyperthyroid and had adrenal insufficiency, um, a lot of problems. She was in her seventies, and uh, um, and uh, uh, you know, so she needed uh, to relieve the adrenal stress. She would get deficient in electrolytes uh, very quickly after just a few hours of not eating, and she would be waking frequently during the night. And you know, we managed to. Improve her situation quite a bit, um, you know. But I would say, uh, you know, it's only really in cases like hers where you know your hormonal organs are not functioning properly that uh, uh, you know that a fast you know should be really st- stressful. Uh, if you're, you know, what really protects you against uh, the stress is if you're eating enough food, if you're well nourished. Uh, during your feeding window, you know, then a normally functioning body should be able to maintain good function for you 16, 24 hours.
0: Yeah. It's, I actually haven't in uh, the, one of the chapters in car backloading is titled breakfast, the most important meal of the day to skip. Um, Is how I, (laughs) I think,
1: I I think that's true. So, um, or I, I often say, yeah, you should, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but, uh, you don't need to eat it in the morning. You can eat it in the afternoon. <laughs> right. And, uh, um, and, you know, uh, the, for a long time, you know, people would say, oh, uh, skipping breakfast is, is bad for you. And there were studies showing that, but, uh, when they looked into it more closely, it's really eating at night, uh, that is the problem. It's, you know, so what happens is a lot of the people who skip breakfast, uh, you know, they're exerting willpower, you know, they're resisting hunger. And then as the day goes on, their willpower weekends and then they, you know, have a big feast at night. And, um, and that's not very good for circadian rhythms. So, uh, you know, but if you're, if you have a big feast in the afternoon, then skipping breakfast is very good for you. Um, so, uh, you know, really the old, uh, European pattern of a you know of a big feast that you know early afternoon mm-hmm. uh, and a light supper. It's a it's a very healthy pattern, and if if you're eating that way, then there's no need to eat breakfast.
0: Yeah, it was interesting they did um it, it on those those studies with breakfast too, and they look at okay, well, people who skipped breakfast had greater hunger pangs later on, and so on and so forth um a lot of those studies have a very short transition window they basically go and they make all their measurements a day after having the people adjust to skipping breakfast so of course their body is already set on certain hormonal patterns that can be triggered by insulin and glucose um and especially in those breakfast situations so of course you know the next day they feel hungry because they skipped it's the first day they've ever skipped breakfast um and there was a recent study where they actually had the participant participants acclimate to the diet for four weeks and their scores of hunger were significantly lower um, in the morning because they hadn't been eating breakfast than they ever could achieve before with different type of uh, it was interesting. They, you know, tested out breakfasts of different macronutrient makeup and subjective hunger scores. And then, you know, had them adjust the diet and stuff. So it was, It was really interesting that, you know, these transition periods are very, very important when we're looking at this information. Um, And like you said, when your participants come to your camp, you know, at first it's horrible. You know, they have that fast, you know, they're hungry and everything, but then they adjust pretty rapidly. Um, I think a lot of people just don't get through that. They're like, oh, well, you know, I can't do it. Uh, and they don't give themselves an opportunity to make it through that transition period. That's just so critically important.
1: All right. Well, no one has said that our fasts are horrible, even on the first day. Everybody, uh, everybody enjoys it. We give them a nice feast when they first arrive, uh. um, <laughs> you know, a good, a good welcome dinner. And then, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I think we've had one or two people who took a couple days to adapt, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, nearly everybody does fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, in addition to the black coffee, we provide electrolytes. So we provide, you know, like a vegetable soup, uh, you know, that's salted, made with uh, bone stock. And, uh, uh, you know, so that's another, another thing that, you know, it, 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 when, people, when people are struggling with a fast, most often it's an electrolyte issue. Uh, you know, they're, they're depleted. And, uh, uh, you know, so just restoring electrolytes can make a, a big difference.
0: Yeah, I've seen the people who have the most difficult at least with morning fastings and the people I've worked with, um, and the feedback we get online are usually the ones who had had that uh kind of I won't say traditional, but like the last kind of thirty year shift of you eat a breakfast that's very low fat, very high carbohydrate, um, maybe not even a lot of protein. So they were cereal eaters essentially, first thing in the morning or um uh, toaster pastries or you know any of that kind of stuff that's what they were eating first thing and there's uh, very good research in humans about how causing an insulin spike actually will cause ghrelin to spike at the same time which is uh, the body's main hunger hormone so you can actually set the rhythm of when ghrelin will naturally spike through the day if you just eat carbohydrates at the same time or if you eat something that will have a high insulin excursion at the same time every day for a couple of weeks, you'll actually, and then you skip it, your body still spikes ghrelin at that, at that same time. Um, and a lot of bodybuilders and other people who've tried to eat six meals a day, six small meals a day, things like that have experienced this. If they miss a meal, they still feel extremely hungry and they, they can almost tell the time by when their hunger signals occur. And they don't realize they programmed that. That's what, you know, the, the people I deal with who have that problem, they have programmed themselves to be hungry first thing in the morning and they don't even uh, realize that they've done that. And that's that, you know, kind of transition period of, of trying to get them to, to adjust to that basically, unprogram themselves.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting point. So uh, at, at the retreats, we generally, I, d- I do, uh, I provide some health coaching. Uh, Mm -hmm. pre-retreat and post-retreat and uh, uh, we generally encourage people to start trying our diet and start attempting intermittent fasting before they come and not everyone does that but uh, uh, most do and so there's uh, you know if there are adaptation issues maybe they're they've gone away by the time they arrive
0: how how can people find out about your uh, basically where's the best place to go to find out about your retreat um, the work you're doing, uh, so on and so forth. Where?
1: Yep. Well, our, our site is perfecthealthdiet.com, and that has links to everything. So there's a tab on the top called perfect health retreat, and you can click on that for information about the retreats. And I highly recommend them. They're, uh, uh you know, it's, uh, it's actually, it's a luxury vacation. You know, we've got, uh, We've got two heated pools, two hot tubs. It's right on a magnificent beach, almost private at the time of the year that we do the retreats, and uh, uh, luxury setting, great chef, and uh, cooking classes, science classes, exercise classes, uh, three personal trainers, and, uh, uh, and it's really a good education on how to be healthy for the rest of your life. And, uh, uh, and we're optimistic that we can prove that an ancestral diet and lifestyle uh you know can really heal disease and uh you know so uh you know we'll uh, welcome everyone and uh you know whether you're healthy or sick and uh hope to help you um and uh you know other things on perfect health diet uh we've got lots of recipes and uh information uh, and uh, uh lots of uh tips for ways to be healthy
0: so it was, was it the perfect health diet or perfecthealthdiet.com?
1: It's actually perfecthealthdiet.com. No, okay. No, the, okay. And, uh, um, you know, or you can search on my name and, uh, or search on perfect health diet and I'm sure it'll come up first.
0: Yeah. The, so I have a question. So the retreat sounds amazing. What if I came to the retreat and skipped everything and just enjoyed the hot tubs? Would that be acceptable? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, every every activity
1: is optional. We we haven't had anyone do that
0: yet. <laughs> oh, okay. I was just like the what you I, what you described as the surroundings. Like, man, it'd be. I would pay whatever just to have a vacation like that for you know how long is your retreat? Uh, one
1: one week.
0: Uh yeah, definitely one week of just being able to relax and unplug and have hot tub beach access. That would be phenomenal. Yeah, it's
1: you know the food is great um so uh, my wife does cooking classes my uh our, our chef used to be a private chef to REM and uh Stevie Winwood and uh uh was a was a chef at Hollywood for uh uh you know for the movies oh, wow. and uh, uh anyway he's uh uh, uh, <laughs> uh we've got really good food i
0: mean it it ju- yeah it just keeps sounding better and better <laughs> This is awesome. Uh,
1: yeah, it's um you know, we're really excited. So uh it's um uh we had uh at our most recent retreat we had uh 15 guests and uh 11 left video testimonials uh, oh, which wow. we're still editing. Uh you know, but I think we've really gotten a great program uh that is uh you know, that really leaves people excited and uh uh and you know, we're starting to uh get a sense of the health outcomes and mm-hmm. uh uh they look really good. So uh you know I think it's I you know, I was inspired to do this because uh a number of the vegan doctor you know the the well known vegan doctors mm-hmm. open uh places like this. So Nathan Pritikin had his longevity center and yeah. uh, uh, you may know Kempner with the rice diet and uh, other people, and you know they would, you know they would publish a few papers on you know, how people had reduced rates of heart attacks or things like that. Uh, you know, but I'm convinced we can do much much better uh, as far as health improvements, and uh, you know, so I really wanted to open something where we could prove that an ancestral approach would really work much better, and uh, you know, and I think we're well on our way to doing that.
0: It's, it's really fantastic. Kefir, detri- oh,
2: I see. the only detriment for, I think is that the retreat would probably be very deficient in cherry turnovers. That would be the only well, downside. Well, that,
0: do. that could be a problem, but I, you know, I was just thinking in general, like you don't, there aren't many opportunities to actually have that kind of, um, environment where you, not only do you, you get the food that is being recommended. Uh, you're also being taught how to cook it. You're being taught the science behind it. And, um, you've you've got somebody to help you understand and create and create exercise programs for yourself. I mean, and and then on top of it, to have a relaxing environment so you can let a little bit of that soak in. Um, it, it yeah it 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 really does sound like you've constructed a a, a fantastic uh, program to to help people get jump started who can afford to be there. That it sounds like a great great yeah, idea. I,
1: yeah. I, I, I think so. I'm really proud of it. And, uh, um, and you know, it, we really try to make it a complete education for life. And, you know, so the movement classes are not just, uh, physical activity exercise. They're also, you know, stress relief, meditation. Um, you know, so we have evening classes help prepare you for sleep. Uh, we have, you know, posture, stretching, uh, mobility, healing, um, and, uh, Uh, You know, so I I think we've got just about all the bases covered and it's not intense. You know, it's not like a Biggest Loser type thing where we push people, you know. uh, We just try to get them enough uh, movement to, you know, be health-optimizing and most people come in not very good physical condition so they're, you know, they can't, the health-optimizing amount of exercise isn't really that large. and. you know, and, you know, so people get, you know, people get plenty of free time to enjoy the beach and the hot tubs. Uh, And there's a lot of, you know, everybody who's come has been uh, tremendously nice and uh, enjoyable. And, uh, you know, so the social environment is really good too. Uh, I have a lot of fun every time I go and, you know, and I'm working. So I think it must be even more fun for the people who don't have to work.
0: Yeah. Well, that sounds fantastic. Thank you, so we're you know, we're at our hour and I really appreciate you taking an hour to to be on the podcast with us today. You know, we've uh you we've you know connected a couple years ago and I don't think we haven't really had an opportunity to connect or talk again. So, you know, thanks for being on the show.
1: Yeah, it's great to great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Kiefer. And uh, uh yeah, I'll look forward to our next uh uh next meeting. Hopefully we'll yeah. uh uh, you know we can disturb
2: people again at a panel
0: sometime. <laughs> yeah, that uh, sounds great. Uh, any last do, any last questions Rocky or comments?
2: Oh no, thanks a lot for coming on Paul. It was uh, it was great to have you on and and especially learning more about the retreats that you have and in, in terms of trying to help people get healthy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh well, maybe you guys will come out and visit sometime.
0: Mm, yeah, so perfecthealthdiet.com uh, find everything there, or you could search for Dr. Paul Jaminet. Uh, we'll have links everywhere below the podcast. And uh, thanks again, Paul, for being on the show. And thanks, Rocky. And that is another episode of Body FM. been listening to IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.